Okay, here's a special interview for our Witch Game First listeners. We are joined by Zach Connolly. Zach, thanks for joining me on Witch Game First. Evan, thanks for having me. Zach, you are with Royal N Games. Are you the sole proprietor? Are you the owner of Royal N Games? I am kind of the only person in Royal N Games. We are a self-publishing publishing house. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I hire contractors like artists and, and such to help me uh, work on the projects. But I am the designer, publisher, uh, the developer. It's not always easy to wear that many hats. You have to be very objective of your own work. But uh, we're on our third game now. It's definitely something I'm super proud of. and It's coming along really well. Absolutely. And we're going to be talking about the game Lots, Lots in just a moment. But before we jump off of the Royal N Games subject, what significance is that name? Can you explain that a little bit for us? So uh, I will make a recommendation to anyone who's looking to start their own company. Do not name your company after an inside joke that no one else gets. <laughs> uh, back in high school, I used to be in a ska band called Royal Nunsuch. Uh, which was a reference to Huckleberry Finn. Again, no one gets this. It was not cool. <laughs> but uh, I just remember it being some of the funnest times of my life. So when I went to go make a game company, I landed on Royal End. And you made the game company, or at least you produced your first game. It looks like in 2015. Do I have that right? Correct. Uh, that was Main Event, a card game battle royale. A great learning experience, let me tell you. You were both the designer and the artist for that game, is that right? Yes. I am a plumber by trade. I am not an artist. And uh, I gave it my best shot. It came along well enough. But uh, again, I was, I was proud of the product we put out, especially for a first attempt at making a game. And definitely back in 2015, Kickstarter was a completely different animal back then. Sure. It was a lot more forgiving. <laughs> I can understand you being your own harshest critic. Yes. Especially on your first professional project and something like that. However, having looked at it myself, I thought it was just fine. So <laughs> there's that's one person's opinion. So I don't think you have to be too, too harsh on yourself. Well, I appreciate it. No problem. You followed that up in 2017 with Deathbot Derby. Loved Deathbot Derby. I was very excited about that one. Uh, interesting side note. I actually designed lots two years before Deathbot Derby. Uh, Lots was something I had to put on the back burner, and Deathbot Derby was just something I was kicking around at design night because the show BattleBots had come back on the air and it started inspiring me again to you know work on that whole matching this weapon with this movement and trying to build all these different combinations so that you could fight them in an arena. I was really into that back in 2017. Sometimes you do have to do that because of cultural relevance or some other thing happening right at the moment in which you may have, like you said, had a project in the works. It was the right time to go ahead and reestablish that while it was kind of hot in the memories of, of, you know, television watchers, game players and other and other people. So that seemed like a, a good idea. But your latest game as we said before, is called Lots, and it's currently in, still in Kickstarter. Why don't you uh, tell us about the game and then give us an update on how the Kickstarter campaign is going for it. Lots, at first glance, looks like a dexterity game. And whereas there is a dexterity element, it's more of a spatial recognition puzzle. 
with uh, color coordination. I like to say that it's a three-dimensional puzzle. It sells a little better than dexterity game. Mm-hmm. Lots was my first attempt at making a family-friendly game. As you mentioned, I made a game main event, which was wrestling, that robot fighting. <laughs> I had become a father, and I decided I wanted to make a game that one day I'd feel comfortable playing with my kids that didn't involve me pointing a rocket launcher at them. Right. Uh, so that's when I came up with the game Lot. I went on Amazon and I ordered a bunch of these craft cubes and just started gluing them together into the Tetris shapes. Uh, they were very janky. They didn't balance well. <laughs> But I was going for that Tetris vibe. In fact, the original name as a joke was called Tetrisit. For obvious legal reasons, we didn't cope with that. Right. But uh, in the beginning, it was just a stacking game. Match the colors, finish the floors. And it was just, it was missing something. And that's when we started adding things like the cards. The cards really help promote interaction between the players. You know, almost almost take that in nature, but not necessarily mean. You know how in, in a lot of take that games, it's like, haha, no, no points for you. Right. This was more a way to affect yourself and give yourself the benefit that no one else saw that you were going to be able to do, kind of like that hidden ability. We worked on that for a while, and we just loved the way the game was turning out. However, mm-hmm. it was not something that we feasibly thought we could produce as a company. I started taking the game around to different publishers and not to name too many names, but one in particular, Blue Orange Games, was very interested in the game. They had it for months. They took it to France. They took it to Canada. They tried it out everywhere. And it really came down to dollars and cents. They could not plausibly see making the game in its current state. So we went back to the drawing board, started working a few things out. And last year, I was able to come across a, a way to manufacture the blocks that nearly cut the cost in half. And that's when I decided to go at it myself. That's remarkable that a single game component, although it is obviously the most important component of the game, these tetronomy right. pieces, that when you think about game design and the cost associated with it, just one aspect like that can make or break the entire project. It really can come down to just one thing. Oh, absolutely. So lots falls into a very family-friendly market. I don't know about you, but when it comes to family games, are you going to pay more than $35 for a family game? Not likely. So uh, that wound up being the biggest hurdle for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Originally, we were looking to have the blocks be a little bit bigger, a little chunkier, and and it required a a CNC cutter. Now, I'm getting into manufacturing stuff now. but uh, (laughs) Into the trades, right. (laughs) Into the trades, whereas the blocks were thicker, chunkier, and it also added weight to the game. It added cost to the game. So we wound up scaling the blocks down to about a half-inch scale. They're still nice, thick, chunky. They look good in your hand, honestly. If you hadn't played with the other uh, sets, you wouldn't even know the difference. But because we were able to scale it down just enough, we were able to switch over to laser cutting. Now, laser cutting was infinitely less expensive, and it was actually more precise. Did you at all consider or price out what it would be to have the pieces 3D printed? Because the shapes themselves, I think, would lend themselves to something like a 3D printing, but I have no idea the cost point for something like that. Our first two prototypes were actually 3D printed, other than the one I glued together. Um, (laughs) Our first two real prototypes that we started taking to shows were 3D printed. The truth is, with 3D printing, unless you have just an absolute top-of-the-line machine, 
Um, it's not utility enough. It's still very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when these things cure, they don't necessarily cure perfectly. And this game needs to be able to stack almost seamlessly. Yes. So if you have that one block that's just a little janky, it could throw off the whole game. Zach, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about the general rules of the game. What are we trying to do here? And what is our what is our victory conditions? Uh, okay, uh, victory conditions are very easy. You are trying to have the most points. Now, there's two ways that this happens. Either the game ends when one of the players reaches a certain number on the score track, depending on player count, or if three of the five supply lines are empty, the game ends immediately. On that person's turn, they place their last block, and the player with the highest score wins. We did this because the game just doesn't need to drag on. Mm -hmm. You don't ever want to overstay your welcome, especially in a family game. You want to keep the attention of the kids. You want to keep the patience of the parents and have them feel like they're still doing something. So we tried to keep the game in a tight 20, maybe 25 minutes. We put 30 on the box just because it looks good. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So in the game of lots, what you do is you're, you're starting off. You have a crew member card. The crew member card is hidden information. It's a little way for you to cheat and earn points that you do not deserve. And you're going to start off by rolling a die and you take one of the tetromino blocks into your supply bank. On your turn, you roll a die. You get a second block and you're going to choose one of the two blocks to add to the footprint. All the time, you're trying to either finish floors or match colors. If you finish a floor, you get five points. If you match colors, you get two points for each block that matches that color. Touching pieces of the same color. You could touch two, three, four pieces of the same color and really score some big points. A lot of what the game is is kind of watching the pieces that your opponent has, kind of seeing what they're capable of finishing, completing, scoring, and maybe playing a little keep away, sometimes playing a little mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, Placing a block somewhere that's going to stop them from getting a lot of points. And that's where the crew cards really come into play. Now that little bit of hidden information is what keeps this from just being purely abstract. It's a good concept. It has all great components, I think, of of a game, including something that I find rare, which is the physical dexterity component, which is not typical, I would say, in most games, especially a lot of them that we've reviewed on which game first. There's only been a handful of the hundreds of games that we've so far reviewed. So I love seeing that particular feature when it's brought to our game table because it is rare. It's a nice element to the game because very rarely, unless you're playing with smaller children, does anything fall off this tower. Mm -hmm. I like to describe it as a threat of dexterity, like that tense moment. Not likely going to fall, but you're still a little nervous and it adds to that experience of the game and the other people at the table are watching you places. They can feel that tension. That's right. The good thing about this, as opposed to most other dexterity games, when and if anything falls off that tower, the game does not end. You just remove all of those pieces from the tower. They are thrown into the dumpster. They're out of the game. And you keep playing the block that you are supposed to place. You're just going to score zero points. So it's not good to knock anything off, but it doesn't end the game. Right. Unlike a game like Jenga, something like that, where things start falling off and you can... And then then you're setting up the game again. Now, <laughs> exactly. If you're playing with someone who's bad at dexterity, the game's over very quick. How is how are things going? The Kickstarter looks really great. A really beautiful Kickstarter page you put together here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good. Uh, again, as you can see from our last two campaigns, they're very modest campaigns, low funding goals. Usually we wind up hitting our goal in the last 48 hours or so. With lots, we actually hit our goal 
on like day four. And I can't tell you what a different experience that has been. Now, I'll be honest, one of the most important things that I'm keeping in mind when it comes to stretch goals is weight. Now, uh, in its current state, lots weighs under a pound, which means it ships for next to nothing. And that's why we were, again, able to cut the cost and make it so reasonable. So I'm not quick to just start adding extra pieces or, you know, thicker components or miniatures, you know, God forbid. (laughs) (laughs) So we are being very cautious with the things we're planning. We're planning things like new footprints just to add a little more variety to the game. Very efficiently planning for these stretch goals. When you are visiting conventions, figs, and other places that you've been the last, say, Mm -hmm. month or two, you have been traveling with something called Megalots, which is more of a a life-size version of lots. That one does not ship cheaply. Yeah, no, I understand that. But it's very clever because (laughs) something like that most certainly draws the attention of people. So whomever idea that was, kudos to them. Thank you. That was actually uh, me in a backyard cutting foam with a turkey cutter. (laughs) Whatever it takes. The way I saw it was I could take this game to a convention and it might catch a few eyes. It does have a three-dimensional aspect, so it has good table presence. But when you go to big shows, you could wind up drowning in just all of the options. Even good table presence sometimes isn't enough to stand out. Sure. Whatever it takes to stand out, you really do want to do that. You got to market it somehow, right? Absolutely. I got this bee in my bonnet while they were uh, working on all the manufacturing for the game, for the samples that we were having put together. I had two, maybe three weeks where I just wasn't doing anything. So I went to a craft store. I bought foam. I bought bought spray paint. And I just started making a giant version. I mean, eight times the size of the actual game. Whenever I get a booth now, I don't put tables out. I don't put chairs out. I lay out a giant display of the game and I coax people to come on by and just build a giant tower. And very rarely is anyone reluctant to build a giant tower at a convention. They're they're usually on board. It's so inviting. Exactly. One of the things I always say to other designers, other creators is a game being played is a game seen. So if you have people in your booth playing the game, it draws a crowd. And I think that's all backed up by the nice early reviews and comments that people have been putting up at not only the Kickstarter page, but I think there's also some comments over at Board Game Geek. Not to mention there have been a few video reviews of lots. Oh, just a few. (laughs) So (laughs) so it's getting, I think, universal praise. So congratulations on on a good project. And I hope lots... Is obviously already successful and it becomes more, even more successful for you, Zach. Thank you so much. Zach, thank you again for joining us at Which Game First. We're looking forward to playing lots here along with other games that you come up with in the hopefully near future. And we'll be talking again soon. Absolutely. Evan, thank you so much for having me.